Church, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open to Matthew 4 with me. We're going to kind of be in there uh, today. Uh, if you do not, you can watch the screens and they will throw the scriptures up for us. We're starting a new series today called Encounter. And as you notice, there's a little three at the end instead of the final E. It goes Encounter with a three. We did this based on this book that we were reading as a staff. It's called The Insanity of God, which is a good book. It's a story of the guy, Nick Ripkin, who is a missionary to Somalia in the early 90s. And it's really about his experience, about his encounters with God. And I gave uh, one of those books away last week. And, and if you get a chance to read it, I encourage you to read it because it'll be challenging, I think, for anyone at any level uh, in their faith. But he, as an individual, really has three moments where he comes into contact face-to-face -face with God. And in these moments, his life is transformed. And we're going to see these moments in the Scripture as well in the disciples' life and in their experience when they come in contact with Jesus. But the first one happened to him when he was about 17 years old, and, and, and it was just basically God calling him to follow him. He said, follow me, and so he dedicates his life to following God. Several years later, he's called out to the ministry, and, and God tells him to go. So it goes, follow, go, and then at the end, when he's in Somalia and everything, everything is super dangerous, he is faced with this encounter with God where he had to make a decision whether he was going to stay and do ministry or leave, and that was basically, am I willing to die for what God has asked me to do? And so he has these three encounters with God, and we're going to see this in the New Testament with the disciples, where they are asked to follow, then years later, years, I want to get to that, Later, they are sent out and they go, and then every one of them but one, based on what we know from history, dies for their faith. And we're going to try and, and see if we can experience those things as individuals ourselves. As we encounter Jesus, we might be in, in this state where it's progressive, right? How many people know that there is no, like, arrival when it comes to your faith? Isn't that true? Like, there is no arrival. You, you can't say, you know what, I beat Christianity, I conquered it. I defeated it. It was there, and I have one. No, it's constantly progressive and growing. And we'll see with the disciples that they were in these periods of time where, where at the very beginning they followed Jesus. That's what they did. And it took them three or more years before they came into contact with the Holy Spirit, and they went out and had power to do ministry. And then after that, there were several years before they were faced with death, and they had to decide whether they were going to follow God and face death or whether they were going to move on. So we see that. So it takes years. You might be in the follow phase. You might be in the go phase. You might be in the, in the death phase. It's not about where you are physically. It's about where you are spiritually. So you can actually go and never leave because it's about you, where you're at in your walk and in your heart with God. You can be doing the ministry here where you're at and you could be sent to do the work of the Lord but never actually leave your town and so that's what it's about and so we're going to get into contact hopefully with the Holy Spirit and he's going to kind of reveal to us where each one of us is in this progressive faith or this walk with God and where we need to go to kind of move forward and so that's where we got this idea and today we're talking about the first one we're talking about follow and what it means to really be a, a follower of Jesus you know, several years ago, six years ago, uh, my wife and I, we adopted uh, two children. Uh, we have five kids all together. We have three that are biological and two um, that are adopted. And when we were called to meet them, uh, we went to a place in Tiffin where they had this little 
area where we were supposed to meet these kids. We got a letter asking if anybody would be willing to uh, take these kids and put them in their home. Uh, and so we decided that we would be willing after, after much prayer. And so we went to go visit them. And when we were there, there was this little room that we met them in. And, and James, who is my uh, youngest, was just as cute as you could get. You know, he's three years old and, and uh, just had this smile that lit up the room and was adorable. And, and he didn't talk. Uh, Karina did all the talking for both parties. Anybody have a kid like that? Right, she did. She talked for her and she talked for James. And so we'd ask James a question and Karina would answer the question. But it was this tiny little closet that we met in. Toys all over the place. And we're sitting there and, and we're supposed to spend four hours with these guys to, to, to get to know them, to see if we had a, a connection, to see if we would want to, to put them uh, in our home. And Jay, the social worker, says, you know, we don't want to spend four hours in this closet. Let's go find a park somewhere. It's June, right? So it's glorious out. It's a wonderful day. So he goes, let's go find a park. And Karina snaps her head, looks at him, and goes, black people don't go outside. That's what she said, okay? So that was like our, our initial relationship with Karina. Okay, so fast forward two, three weeks later, they're at our house now. They're staying for a weekend uh, to kind of build that relationship. And we decide, it's July at this point, we decide that we're going to go swimming, okay? Now, you can already know that this is going to come in conflict with Karina because black people don't go outside. So we're going to go swimming at this point. So we get there, and we get in the pool, and, and everybody's swimming and having a good time. And guess where Karina is? She's on the dock, right? She's on the deck. She's not getting in the water because black people don't go outside. Anyways, so I'm going to say that like six times. Everybody, everybody look at Morvin. Morvin, black people go outside, right? Anyways, um, so she says that, and, and, and she's not getting in the water. And so me being dad, you know, I go up there, and, and don't think that I just threw her in because I didn't. I'm sitting there going, Karina, let's get in the water. I'll, I'll be with you, okay? So you grab a hold of me, and we'll go in together. And it took me hours to get her to trust me to get into this water, but she did. And she's got a death grip on my neck. Like, I'm not going to die of drowning. I'm going to die of choking to death because this, this four-year-old, she was four years old at the time. She's 11 now. This four-year-old will not let go of me. But we get in the water, right? And it's progressive. And she starts to kind of loosen up a little bit. And we eventually get to the place where we're just holding hands. Anybody been there? And she's swimming. Now, now, guys, there's no danger whatsoever. She has armies on. She has a life jacket. I mean, there is like everything that you can think of to protect somebody from drowning, she has on. Not to mention the pool is only like four feet deep, you know. So, <laughs> like, there's, there's like no danger here whatsoever. But she feels it, right? So we're holding hands and we're swimming and she's kicking her feet. And every once in a while I'd find a reason to let go of one of the hands, Right? And she would scream bloody murder at that point. Ah, 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 like she's going to die. I mean, four foot deep, she's got life jacket on. She's got, I mean, like she, there's nothing happening here in this situation. But she is screaming. And I would take my time, and I'd eventually come back and be like, oh. And then I'd let the other one go. And eventually it got to the place where she was kind of floating on her own, right? But I couldn't leave her. We had to be pretty close. But now, fast forward, last year, during swim time, which I'm looking forward to. I love swim time. During swim time, Karina is the one kid that never got out of the pool. Ever. This girl swims. She's like a fish. She swims all the time. She begs us 
to go swimming because she absolutely loves it. Now, it took a leap of faith. It took her trusting her dad and her mom to be able to get in the water, to be able to swim and things like that. It took that. But if you look now, the, the, the payoff is huge. And I think to myself, four-year-old Karina didn't even realize what she was missing. And when we're talking about our walk with God and when he gives us that call to follow him, so many of us are just completely reluctant. I ain't getting in a pool. I can't do that. I'm scared. What if you ask me to do this? What if this happens? What if this happens? But the truth is, guys, we as a church, we don't realize what we're missing. Because when we take those steps of faith, it leads us to this freedom where now Karina can swim like crazy. She can jump into any pond, any pool. She can do all kinds of things. And she loves it. And our life can get to that place. But what it takes is when he says, follow me, us taking that first step to follow him. And in that first step, we're opening some doors to some experiences, to some miracles, to some amazing things that we don't even realize we've been missing. But when Jesus comes and they have this encounter, when we have this encounter and he says, follow me, we have to open our hearts up and be prepared and ready to follow. That's what we have to do. Once again, it takes us to the place, just like Karina, where she becomes an incredible swimmer. It gets to the place where we then go, and then it gets to the place where we're willing to die. Most people don't start at that place. It's progressive. Where we start is taking that first step to follow him when he calls us. And that's a big call, and it's a big deal. But if you're willing to do it, it can open the door to some amazing possibilities. So we are trying to hold back and we're trying to hold on, and I believe this is the big problem that we see in the church and our culture today. We're trying to hold on to our own ideas because we've gotten this somehow locked in our brains where we still believe that our opinion matters. Isn't that true? We still think that what we say, what we believe, is almost the center of the universe, and we couldn't be further from the truth, could we? Where the only thing that's going to change the world is not your opinion— it's the Holy Spirit and faith in Jesus. And we know this to be true. We know it to be true, yet some, way, some reason we get lost in that. And so it's not about our opinion. It's not about our direction. It's not about our will, but it's about his opinion, his direction, and his will. And if we connect to that, which is following, we put ourselves down and submit under the mission of him, we submit to him, he will take us directions and in a path where there are endless possibilities. So Jesus comes in contact in Matthew 4 with the disciples for the first time, four of them. And we're going to read this encounter that they have with him, and we're going to draw, draw kind of four things out of this based on history, what we know, and what we can see in this scripture. And we're going to talk about these things. So Matthew 4, starting in verse 18, we're going to go 18 through 22 says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, 
mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So what we see in this scripture, and one of my favorite parts, is, is there's, there's four verses there, but in verse 19, he calls to the disciples and says this to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, I broke that part in my Bible. I have that broken apart in three different sections. One, follow me, right? Which is the call to us. Follow me, and then the rest kind of falls on him, right? Because it's follow me, and then it says, I will. See, this is a promise, right, from him. And if you decide to follow him, he will make you into something else. Not you will, he will. And that's the promise we have from him. And thank God it's not my will, because listen, I have tried to do things my way for years and years and years, and it just never works out the way I think it should. It never does. But it's amazing on how many times I submit to his will, and his will radically transforms my life. And so if we follow him, that means walk in his footsteps, get ourselves out of the way, submit to him, the Bible tells us that he will, and then it tells us that he will make us fishers of men. He will turn us into something else, where it's progressive, where it's change. It just happens. And so we can see those three parts of that scripture. And we're going to talk about this in these four parts. And the very first one is that following Jesus will turn you in to something else. And that might not sit well with some of us in this room because we don't like change. How many people don't like change? We don't like change. Well, here's the truth. Following Jesus will turn you into something else. And here's another question for you. How many people are 100% perfectly fulfilled in the life that you have now? I mean, nobody raises their hand when I ask that question, right? Because everybody knows and understands that their life could be different, could look different, could be better, could look better. It just could. Because even though we have this way in our country of putting on this incredible facade to where we look super good, whether it's on social media or out in the public, we all know that we all have problems and issues. And the Bible promises us certain things that come through the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All those things that we absolutely love and want in our lives. And we can have those things. Okay? And they're not based on circumstances. They're based on the Spirit of God. And it's when we connect to Him. It's when we follow Him. So following Jesus will turn you into something else. And I can tell most of us in this room, there's a lot of people in this room, that years ago, if, if you were told that your life would look this way today, and you made a decision then to follow God, you would almost laugh, right? Because it's just unrealistic. I'm one of those people. You know, in junior high, just like most junior high kids, I made a lot of stupid decisions. I thought my parents were morons. They had all these rules, things that I was supposed to do. And I was like, this is dumb. I don't want to do these things. I started going, kind of going a little bit different direction, which is kind of typical of that age. And when I was a freshman in high school, I went on a missions trip to Haiti. And when I was there, and I was uh, helping other people, I had this encounter, this connection with God at that point. And my life was different. I knew at that point that I didn't want to be who I was becoming, that I wanted to be something else. I decided to stop hanging out with certain friends, to kind of go a different direction with my life. And I wasn't getting in, in big trouble at all. I wasn't doing illegal activity or anything like that. But I really had a rebellious heart towards God and my family. And if you would have told me at that point, when I was 15 years old, 
that I would end up here when I'm 38 years old, I would have laughed at you because that was not the direction my life was going. But I know this, when you decide to follow God, he will make you something else. And there are people in this room that can say, I know that to be true because that was their experience as well. It took a simple decision to follow him and it changed you forever. The second thing that we can see is following Jesus interrupts your life, doesn't it? And we're not, un, we're not super comfortable with that. There is a cost to following God. And we see it here in this last section of Scripture where it says that these two boys were in the boat with their father mending the nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father. <coughs> I'm betting you that when they woke up this morning, this was not the way they were expecting this day to, to turn out that they had an idea of what was going to happen. But in that moment, when Jesus called them, they left their boat, and they left their father. Now we see in this scripture, Luke 14, 26 through 27, it's my little lady, Annabelle Rose, back there on the computer. She hates it when I say her name from the stage. Hi, sweetie. I loves you. Anyways, okay, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, there's, <clears throat> there's a cost to following God. It interrupts your life. And if you make that decision that you're going to follow him, there are things that are going to be different, because God is going to lead you a direction away from the world. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians that there are really these two paths. You were once following the way of the world, but presented, you now, Ephesians, the people of, of Ephesus, now you're following God. And there's these two paths. And here's one thing that we know, and I've said this before, and it's true. Just because you're running away from sin does not mean you're running towards God, but running towards God 100% guarantees you're running away from sin. And so if you want to get sin out of your life, run towards God. Don't get focused on running away from the sin. Get focused on the direction you're going, which is following Him. And if you're focused on that, you can leave sin in the past. And so there is a cost. They leave their father, they leave their boat on the spot, and they go. They go. So following interrupts your life. Number three, and the third thing that we can see from this, is there's a big difference between knowing God and following God. Isn't that true? There's a big, big difference. You see, when Jesus came in contact with them and he said, come and follow me, they could have said no way and stayed there. And later on, when Jesus is doing all those miracles and everybody's hearing and talking about him, they can say, oh yeah, we know that guy. We know him. And I think that's where a lot of us are in our faith today. That it's like, yeah, I know God. Uh-huh, yeah, I know him. But are you following him? Because we know, like we read the scripture last week, that we will be blessed in our doing. Isn't that true? And so there's a big difference. There's a big difference between knowing that we're supposed to forgive people and choosing to forgive people. See, the Bible tells me I'm supposed to forgive because he first forgave me. I know that. But do I forgive? There's a big difference between putting my spouse 
first like the scripture instructs me to do, that putting my needs down and the needs of others up front, there's a big difference between knowing that and actually doing it. There's a big difference between knowing that I'm supposed to be generous, that I'm supposed to tithe, I'm supposed to be a giver, and being a giver. There's a big difference between those two. And so you can know, and you can choose not to follow. And so knowing doesn't mean that you're following. These guys got off their butts and they went. They didn't just encounter Jesus and say, I know him. They encountered him and they followed him. They immediately stood up and went that direction. Now, I was able to coach junior high wrestling this year, as most of you guys know, uh, for the junior high team here in Defiance. Had a great time doing it. I love uh, being a coach. Baseball tryouts were yesterday. Uh, I get to coach James's baseball team this year, which is exciting. I love doing that as well. But at the end of the season, we had these guys fill out goals for next year. We had them fill out goals for next year and goals that they wanted to accomplish by the time they were a senior. These were the guys on my wrestling team. Because when you have a goal, then you kind of know what you have to do to accomplish it, right? So they write out these goals, and I was reading through these goals, and I honestly, and I feel kind of bad about this, but I, I laughed at some of the goals. I did. I laughed. There were a couple of guys that put, I want to be a state champion. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and the reason I laughed is because I know how they practice. And how many people know that if you don't practice, you ain't going to be no state champion at the sport of wrestling? Isn't that true? I mean, there are young men that, you know, I would say, all right, guys, we're going to go up and we're going to run laps. I ain't doing that. And then they write, I'm going to be a state champion. <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're not going to be a state champion while you're skipping around the lap thing, trying to ignore it. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And we see that truth in Scripture as well, don't we? Where the Bible tells us, in, I think it's Matthew, let me look real quick. Matthew 25, 23. Jesus tells a story and he says, Master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Here's what we know. That if you want the much, you have to start with the little, don't you? I mean, that's a principle across the board. If you want the much, you have to start with the little. You have to start with what you're doing today. Being a state champion as a senior starts with how you work as a 7th or 8th grader. That's where it starts. And if you don't work hard as a 7th or 8th grader, you will not accomplish it as a senior. It's not going to happen. And so the same principle is true in our life. If you want the much, church, you have to be faithful in the little. It's going to start when you walk out this door. It's going to start in the morning when you get up. There are things and principles that you know that you're supposed to do as a follower of Jesus. And tiredness is going to get in the way. How many people enjoyed losing their hour of sleep? How many people want to punch Benjamin Franklin in the face for making up daylight savings time? Anybody else in this room? And that's where we're at, right? And we know this to be true, that it can be difficult. Tiredness happens. But if you want to be part of the much, you have to be faithful in the little. It's going to be one step after another step, after another step, after another step. I woke up this morning full of energy. I drive my family nuts because I'm fairly energetic in the morning. I like to talk driving to the church. I actually hear people say on a regular basis, Andy, shut up. Shut up, Andy. It's early in the morning. I had three people tell me that out in the foyer, Buff, Zeke, and Eli, all share with me how I was talking too much in the morning. 
And, and it's, just, it's just the way it is. I, I do better in the mornings. And so anyways, somebody asked me, they're like, man, how do you have so much energy? We lost an hour of sleep. I'm like, I'm kind of an insomniac. I only lost one hour of sleep. I'm feeling pretty dang good. Most of the time, I lose five or six hours of sleep at a night. So one, that's, not, that's easy to overcome. Sorry for you others that were struggling today. Thank you for being here. That shows a lot. I'm telling you, I'm, it's exciting that you're faithful even when you're exhausted. But here's the truth. Faithful in the little, God will make you ruler over much. So when you know those principles, you know those truths in the scripture, you put them into play a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and you see the Lord make you ruler over much. I heard a minister this week telling a story about how he and his wife, when he was an intern at a church, they had $50 in their checking account. They were full of debts. They had student loans and other issues. They had zero money whatsoever. None. And how he said that, he felt in his spirit that God asked him to give that $50 away to a ministry. And he talked to his wife about it. And so they decided to do that. He said, you know, it's, it's about 15 years later. He said, now I don't have any debt at all. He said, and I'm in charge this year of a $15 million budget. He said, it started with $50 that God asked me to give. And he said, and it was hard to give. But see, when you become faithful in a little, the transition is ruler of much. And you can get to that place, but you've got to be faithful in the little. Listen to what God has for you. When he calls you to move, you move. The next thing we see, the fourth thing we see in this section of Scripture, is you don't have to be special to be called to follow. The, the, my favorite thing about what Jesus does is that he calls ordinary men to be his disciples. You see, if you know anything about kind of the Jewish education system, there were three levels. When they're about six years old, they start to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. When they're 10, after that's done, a large portion of them go back and they start learning their trade from their family, from their fathers, or they become apprentice of somebody else. The cream of the crop get to stay in it, and they get to memorize the entire Old Testament. And they study for the next four or five years to make that happen. And then after that, the real cream of the crop, the top 1%, they get to connect to a rabbi and be a follower of one of the teachers of the Old Testament. And those guys become part of their, their hierarchy, part of their religious organization. See, these guys, these disciples that Jesus is calling, they're fishing at this point. So we know they're not the cream of the crop. They're not. Because they're not part of a rabbinic system. And so he calls them out from being fishermen into something else. That should be encouraging to all of us. Because how many people here, you know, know that, I mean, we know by our GPAs and stuff, we were not the cream of the crop either, right? But yet he still calls us. That's one of my favorite things about what Jesus did. He didn't look, you know, at what people had accomplished on the outside he saw the hearts of his disciples. He saw these men that he knew he was going to have to entrust his gospel to, that they were going to have to face death and danger and still present it. He saw the hearts of these men, and when he called them, they followed. It's super valuable. You don't have to be special to follow. So here's the, here's the truth, guys. When we look at that scripture that we read earlier, in Luke 26, where it says that you have to hate father, mother, brother, sister. You know, people ask, well, does that really mean that I'm supposed to hate? Here's what, here's what he's saying right here. 
He's saying this, that everything in life, everything, priority list, everything comes back to one thing, and that's God, our Heavenly Father. That's Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Everything comes back to that. He is priority number one. The Bible tells us that if we don't take care of our family, we are worse than an unbeliever. You see, he wants us to take care of our family. But the reason we take care of our family and, and, and how we take care of our family is, is because of God. Because God is our one and only. You see, I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And an overflow of that or a trickle down of that is I am responsible in caring for my family. He's not saying literally hate your father and mother. What he's saying is, is that I am number one, singular priority. And moving on to the, those other things comes as a result of your faith in me. You see, our number one goal is to follow him. I absolutely love Easter. I love it. But there's this one little thing that I've grown up in the church and I've been around it a long time. It's one little thing that bothers me. About 99.9% .9 of Easter is fantastic. But there's that 0.01% that bothers me. And let me tell you what that is right here. We spend Easter Sunday because all kinds of people come into the church. All kinds of people that aren't um, normal churchgoers, that we don't even know if they're real followers of Jesus, come into the church. And we spend that Sunday, and we spend weeks planning on how we can convince them to have faith in Jesus and how we can convince them that their time is worth spending on God, that he is worthy of their time and of their energy. And that doesn't, that doesn't sit super well with me. And here's why. It's almost like I have my daughter back there who's 14 years old. It's almost like somebody decides, a man decides, or a young man, that they want a relationship with her, and so they start dating, and they have this process, and they get to be 37 years old, and they decide that they might want to get married. And that's how old you have to be, Annabelle Rose, is 37 years old. And they decide at around 37, 38 years old that they want to get married, and he starts getting distant. He starts pulling away from that and she asks him, hey, what's going on? Why are you getting distant? Why are you pulling away? I thought we were going to commit ourselves to each other. And he says, well, I've, I've always had this idea of what my life, my spouse, my family was going to be like. And I'm trying to decide whether I want to stick with that or I'm going to settle for you. That's what it's like when we're trying to convince people that their time is worthy of our Heavenly Father. And it would be like me then walking up to that man and trying to convince him, yeah, my daughter is great, she's amazing, she's, she's kind, she's generous, she's loving, and trying to convince him that he should be with her. And that seems kind of foolish, doesn't it? Because here's the truth. If a man said that to my daughter, I would be like, I'm going to make this decision easy for you. <laughs> and I would punt him across the room, wouldn't I? That's what I would do. And I would hope she would have the same, that she would have the same response. Listen, if you're settling for me, hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more, no more. Devin, can you play that song for me? Anyways, that's what we would say. And we see this in the scripture. And I want to read this. This is our last scripture. We see this in the scripture. It says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If you have something better to do on Sunday mornings, go do it because you're not worthy of him. That's what the Bible tells us. If you have something better to do than follow Jesus, go because you're not worthy of him then. And that's the same thing I would say to that man if he were to treat my daughter that way. I would kick him in the hiney. I would send him over to my brother and my brother-in-law's house and let them kick him in the hiney. And then we would say goodbye forever and ever as we buried him in the backyard. (laughs) But that is how our faith seems to be on Easter Sunday, where we're trying to convince people that their time is worth God's. When the Bible tells us that, listen, if they've got something better to do, then they're not worthy. Then they're not worthy. And so that part of it doesn't sit well, super well with me. And I hope it doesn't sit super well with you. Because here's the truth. He has called us to follow, and we should come behind him begging to be a part. Because he is worthy. He is worthy. We are not worthy. He is worthy. It's like the coolest kid in school asking you to hang out. Yes, I'll do it. I want to be a part. That's what our faith should be like. When Jesus calls us to follow, we should be praising that he gave us that call. Because he is worthy and we are not. And that's where our faith should be. That's where we need to start with our encounter with him. When he calls us to follow, just like these guys, we immediately drop our nets, leave our family, and we go. Father, we thank you for what you have asked us to do. Lord, we praise you for the time that we get to be in your scripture, that you reveal your truth to us. Lord, help us to recognize it, to acknowledge it, and to come in contact with you. And when we do, Lord, to drop everything and follow you. Give us the courage and the strength to stand on your word and your truth. But not just stand on it, but apply it to our lives. Lord, I ask that you will lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says this to his disciples. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. You know, as we were singing the last song when death was arrested, I couldn't help but get a little emotional. As we're singing, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. This is exactly what it means. This is why we, we tell people to be a follower of Jesus, because when we follow Jesus, freedom follows. And, and as we sat back there and sang that, and I, and it, I was reminded of my, in myself that I am free. I am free from sin. I am free from the, from the shame that it brings, from the hurt that it brings, from the destruction that it brings, all these things. I am free because of Jesus. So I'm going to follow Jesus with everything inside of me. But if it means hell and high water, I'm going to go through it because I'm going to follow Jesus through it all. Following Jesus, though, isn't always the easiest. Like that, sometimes you do have to go through the hell and the high water to get to Jesus. This is a great thing. You know, we, we go to Believe and we go to these youth conferences and I'm always the lead vehicle and I have four or five vehicles behind me and, you know, I'm, I'm a really great person for people to follow, supposedly. Uh, that's what everybody tells me. I'm um, just joking, by the way. Um, 
sometimes I get lost though, or not I get lost, the, the group gets lost from me, they kinda, I kind of pull away from them a little bit, and um, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but sometimes, you know, the great thing about nowadays is that somebody can easily just call me and be like, where'd you go? And um, I could easily say, this is where I'm at, where are you? And, and we think about that with our relationship with God. This is great because we're never too far from God to get down on our knees and say, God, where are you? Can I come after you? We're never too far. We're never too dirty. We're never too beat up that we can't, we can't get down on our knees and say, God, where are you right now? And he's not going to be on the other end going, I'm not going to pick up. Like, they haven't been following me for years. He's going to say, I'm here, and I've been here all along. You know, I hope and pray that today you see this, that following Jesus leads to life. Scripture tells us in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. If your life is destroyed, it's because of the devil. Follow Jesus and find life. You may have hard times, but you find life every single time when you follow Jesus. Trusting in him, following him through the thick and through the thin, you find life. So today I want to encourage you. As we looked at that scripture, it says to give up your old ways. Lay those things aside. Lay, that, lay down that old life that you had. Take up your cross. It's going to, you know, the, the cross for Jesus was painful. The cross for Jesus was hard. He carried his cross to his death, and then he hung on that thing and was mocked in front of people. It's hard to carry our cross. It's not always the coolest, the most popular thing to do. But in the end, we do all that, it leads to life. So I want to encourage you today, church. If you feel like you have lost your leader, it's time to get down on our knees and say, where are you? I'm going to follow you. Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads, church. You know, I love that in that song, when death was arrested, my life began. And today can be an opportunity for you, for your life to begin, your new life in Jesus to begin. And it's a simple you saying, I'm ready to follow you. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you say, Sean, I would love to give my life to Jesus. I would love to surrender my life to him and follow him. And you've never made that decision before. I would like you to raise your hand so I can see it. Anybody in the room want to give their life to Jesus? We got one. Anybody else? You guys put your hands down. Now maybe you're in this room. You said, Sean, I've followed Jesus, at some point in my life, I've been to church before, I've done all this stuff, but I feel like somewhere along the road, we've just, we've lost, I've lost him. And I want to, I want to, I want to reconnect my life with Jesus, I want to re-surrender my life to him and follow him again. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. See a couple hands there. Church, if we could, and, and the, the people who raised your hand, 
if you guys could mean this inside your heart, I'm going to say a prayer in church. I want you to follow along with me, the whole church. But those people who raise your hands, I want you to mean this. And I want you to say this as if you, as if you are speaking to, the, to God and you will be speaking to him. Repeat after me. Father, I thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me and make me like you. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. From this day forward, I will follow you. Help me keep my eyes focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate. It never, never gets old. We're free for, we're free forever. We are free. Now we just had some people join in the song of the redeemed. We have people who are free today because they gave their life and they decided they're going to follow Jesus. What a better day than today. Prayer team, if you guys would come forward, I'm going to pray for you one more time, church. And then um, if you need prayer, you're more than welcome to come forward for prayer. God, we thank you for those hands that were raised there. Would your Holy Spirit fill them right now? God, where there's hurt, we pray for healing to start to begin. God, would you fill the holes of our hearts that need filled. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. So God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come down on these lives right now. Lord, as the church, I pray that we would help build up believers. God, we would help to uh, encourage these people and, and help them see they're not alone. That we would be that family for broken. Father, we praise you for this day. We give you all praise and glory. You are awesome. We thank you for saving us. We're going to follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you guys are dismissed. Have a great Sunday.